Hi there, welcome to an episode of an Inside View podcast in association with On The Ball Team Building. I'm your host, Jamie Finn. If this is your first time listening, please do go back to episode one and have a listen. If you haven't done so already, please do click subscribe. There is a business or sports person in each of us and we hope that our guest stories will help our listeners to chase their dreams. Welcome to episode 5 of series 4 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. Special mention to Sporting Doors who are sponsors of this series. They're an online sports sponsorship platform that connects athletes with companies all around the world. The Irish-owned online marketplace has over 4,000 athletes on their platform to date. For more information, be sure to check out the link in the show notes. Also, a special mention to the Shire Baron Cafe in Clarny, who are also supporting the podcast for this series. On this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by founder of That Dubai Girl, That Dubai Agency and the urban concept, Kirsty Campbell. The Essex-born businesswoman grew That Dubai Girl in 2020, which is a female-focused online platform that supports women and promotes local businesses. The group has grown and developed ever since into face-to-face events and under the banner of That Dubai Agency, Kirsty and her team has worked on some of the city's largest events. There's no doubt we have a huge amount to cover, so let's bring her on. Hi Kirsty, thanks for taking time out to come on Inside View podcast. I appreciate it because I know you're extremely busy. How are you keeping? Um, thanks very much for asking me to be involved. Um, yeah, I'm good. Busy, yes, but um, that's a good thing, right? When you're an entrepreneur, you want to be busy. <laughs> True, yeah. I, I honestly don't know how you make time and, you know, do deal with time management. Like, what's your process when you have, uh, when you prioritize stuff in the morning? Or, or what's your what's your morning routine? Um, To be completely honest with you, I don't start my working day until 10 a.m. And that is, that is like a strict rule for me Um, because I was a teacher for eight years nine years and I was so used to having to get up so early like even in the UK not as bad but here like had to be at school at like 10 past seven um and when I quit I remember saying to my friends I am never (laughs) gonna put myself through this like half five six a.m wake ups ever again and I know it's so funny because you you read all about these entrepreneurs how they all get up at half five and they all do all this stuff um but I don't I get up every day at quarter past seven and um I go to the gym I am a big fan of um Barry's boot camp which is like a high energy very loud high music like that is like the wake up for me I normally get up and get up in the morning I have everything ready the night before everything like my bag for my day all my stuff organized I love sleep um I normally get up and literally like have have some vitamins, have some water, get in the car like a zombie, drive 30 minutes listening to music or a podcast, um, get there, get thrusted into this really loud, crazy environment and have to do it because it's not like, uh, have you ever been to Barry's Bootcamp class? No, no, just on that point, because I think I heard you speaking about it before. Um, a lot of people mightn't go there because, you know, a lot of people, influencers might go there and they might feel intimidated. Uh, Do you feel like that at the start? 
Yeah. So to be honest with you, I um, had a friend, he doesn't work there anymore. Um, and he, he joined as a trainer and he was like, oh, you have to come. Like, I want to see a friendly face. Like, please come with me. Like, um, and I went like quite a few times with him. Um, and to be completely honest with you, I, I, I never worried because he was there. So I was, you know, I'm in the last year, um, I've dramatically changed in terms of like my fitness levels and my routine and stuff like that, probably in the last year and a half. And that's been down to like Barry's, but also down to, I had a a personal trainer who literally did not give up because I was the worst client ever. And he told me you are the worst client I've ever had. I wouldn't, I wouldn't turn up. And when I turned up half the time, I would not do what he wanted and I wouldn't eat what he wanted. Um, and I'm so grateful because he stuck with it and completely changed my lifestyle, like completely. And, you know, a big, a big thing for me, I've talked about this like before, is that I was a terrible, like stress eater, terrible. Like I've, you know, I'm not here to tell people you've got to be skinny or anything like that. You should be healthy and whatever healthy looks like for you, that's different for everyone. Um, but my problem was if I got stressed or I got upset, I ate a whole packet of chocolate biscuits um so you know I you know I I left teaching and thought I'm gonna be so healthy and fit and I'm gonna you know do all this stuff um and I didn't I put on like 15 kilos because I just was stress eating and was working crazy hours were not eating well I'm still quite a bad eater um I love food (laughs) and I force myself to eat vegetables and salad um I will always choose like a bowl of pasta um so yeah I mean I can understand we do a lot of events with Barry's and I'm an ambassador for Barry's um and I work with them really closely and we're always doing things that are like come along you know super beginner classes I think what intimidates a lot of people is the is the running right you, you I I run and it works well for me and it's a stress reliever for me but I couldn't run over a 5k whereas I, one of my closest friends has run marathons and loves it I don't love running I like the feeling after running um yeah. but I also completely understand that, yeah Barry's is so you know super fit people who are you know even now I'm not I'm I'm fit but I'm not like Barry's super skinny abs fit um but I don't I have a relationship with the people there and I think that's kind of I've noticed over the last year how many more people of different shapes and sizes and levels of fitness have come to Barry's and I think that's once people give it a chance and they meet the team behind it um they actually realize that they're not I think people get it in their head that you're going to get shouted at in front of everyone embarrassed and told and I think even Barry's as a as a company have recognized that yeah in an ideal scenario you're going to run at this this or this but I love the way now that trainers will be like but equally if you can't do what you can do push yourself up a little bit from where you're at and I think that's so important because I actually was like at my peak fitness probably six months ago and then I got an injury and it destroyed me it destroyed me that I couldn't run as fast and do as well and I was going in classes and I remember like multiple times leaving the classes and crying because I couldn't do it and you know in my head I knew I could 
Um, and they were so great to me. And, you know, it's because I've built this like kind of family. They call it Barry's Farm. And I, and I actually think they really stand for that. And I, I always say to people, please come, please try it. Like, please give it a go. And I've done a lot of events with them for that Dubai girl. Um, and people have come and they've actually gone, do you know what? It's actually really good. And if you don't want to run, you can just power walk uphill. And no one's going to shame you for doing that. Um yeah. Yeah, I, I totally understand it. And I understand it because of their their vibe and their marketing and their kind of thing. I do understand it. But I think it's like a lot of things in life until you give it a try and you give it a go. Like, you don't always know. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. aside from I don't book meetings before 10 a.m. Um, and I don't mind meetings at like 7 or 8 p.m. because I'm kind of, I'm, I don't mind that, you know? So, but I do say to my team, like, please don't start on me before 10 a.m. <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's actually quite interesting because like you said, there's a, you know, all these uh, successful high performing um, business people are always like four or five in the morning and, you know, win the morning, yeah. win the day. Uh, that That is very, very interesting. Before I go down a rabbit hole, I like to kind of, um, just load of things I want to ask you, but the, McGettigan's fan zone by McGettigan's that was a massive project you're involved in before we go sorry before we go down that route I'd like to bring it back um and just create a picture for the listeners you know of the the person we're, we're chatting to um where did it start for you where did you grow up what was it like okay lots of different questions but um where did I grow up I'm from Essex um I'm from a place called Frinton-on-Sea in Essex which is a little seaside town, very picturesque, um, beach huts, seaside, really, really nice place to grow up. My family, people don't always think that I'm from Essex because my accent is not very super strong Essex accent. Um, my family's from like North London towards Watford. Um, I've got one sister. I grew up with my sister and my mum and dad. And my mum and dad, you know, were all about life experiences, you know, like we weren't we didn't have flashy cars and sky tv when it first came out but we always went on holiday um and i remember my sister is 3 years younger than me and she celebrated her 5th birthday on a plane to australia so like we oh. we traveled and we you know i think that's people's so my sister actually lives in new zealand now and she's lived there for five and a half years and before that she lived in australia and i think people have always said to us like oh my god like you live in Dubai your sister lives in New Zealand like your poor you know your mum and dad and and I've always said like my mum and dad have told us go live wherever you want in the world go do whatever you want you know and wherever you are we will come and see you um and they have we were really lucky like our parents are both retired now but before they were retired my dad was a train driver so he worked kind of shift patterns and got good time off my mum worked in a school um so yeah, even when I moved here, it wasn't, I moved and, and ironically, I left home and moved to the Middle East. That was my first move out of home at just turned 25. Um, I didn't go away for uni or anything. Um, and everyone was super shocked and was like, oh my God, I can't believe we're doing this. Um, but my sister left when she was 19. So, you know, it was like, you know, I, I left and I came here and I've been here eight years now and, and this is home for me. I, I absolutely love it here. Um what, why do I? Um I actually had a friend who was an air hostess, a really good friend from school. 
and my sister had traveled for three years she came back as like an intermittent seer why she could apply for another visa came back to UK and I'd been teaching and you know I'd I'd done my degree in psychology at the University of Essex I'd done my teaching degree um, in my old primary school. I was living with my parents and working in my old primary school. And my sister came back and she'd done all this stuff. And she was three years younger than me. And in all honesty, I've said this loads of times, like I think if she hadn't have done what she had done, I'd still be a teacher living probably not far from my parents. Um, she came back and she really inspired me. She was like, I was like, oh my God, you've done all this stuff. And and I'm three years older than you and I haven't, you know, I always traveled. I always went on holidays. I always visited loads of countries and I've been to loads and loads of places around the world, but I'd never even left home, you know? So I don't know. It was actually quite a shock to everyone. I just applied for jobs in secret <laughs> and I applied for here because I knew someone here. Um, and then I, one day I went for an interview and I got a job and I went home and I was like, I'm moving to the Middle East. My dad was like, you are not. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and yeah, the rest was history and it was hard. And obviously there's been times when I, I was really homesick and it was really hard, but I was lucky, like they supported me and they came to see me and with the exception of COVID ruining everything for everyone. Um, I saw my parents all the time, you know, like my mum came to see me. My mum comes to see me two or three times a year. She loves Dubai. Um going we're actually both going to see my sister really soon she's turning 30 um so yeah like I don't know I guess because I come from a family that have always encouraged travel and have always been like yeah it's a pain my mum always says to me I could live seven away seven hours away from her in England which is so true she's you know like my parents live two and a half hours three hours on a bad day away from where they grew up so you know potentially I could not see them anymore if I lived in the same country as them so yeah that's kind of that and then I was a teacher I moved here as a teacher I was a teacher here for six and a bit years what was the sliding door moment how did uh like how did you go from teaching packing the full-time job and becoming solo um well we started, that dubai, we started that dubai girl um literally as a we wanted to just make a community that was for all dubai girls um the name that dubai girl i'm an essex girl and i had a much broader essex accent i think at the start um and you know there's a stereotype and things that come with that and i remember one day basically a friend of mine i, I did a lot of stuff in the events industry i've supported in events since i was at uni um and I was running a brunch um that was a franchise of a UK brunch for a good friend of mine and someone said oh Kirstie's not an Essex girl anymore she's a Dubai girl and George said she's not a Dubai girl she's that Dubai girl um and it just became a bit of a joke and it just stuck um so when we were making the Facebook group and we the whole principle of it was to just make something where all Dubai girls fit I said, oh, well, we have to call it that Dubai girl because that's that's what it is, you know? Like, what's the uniting thing? Is that it doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter, you know, any of those things. There was loads of groups for English in Dubai, Irish in Dubai, you know, Black Women's Club. There was there were so many, but they all seemed to have 
you had to have a certain criteria, whereas all we wanted it to be was you had to be a girl in Dubai. Um, and no, it's it's actually around 85% of our members are in the UAE and about 15% are like women who are, are moving here or thinking about moving here. Um, and that was it, it just stuck really. And we started it in COVID and it just escalated and we got contacted by Radisson um, and they were like, do you want to do like an event with us? And we carried on. And then we we started the urban market off the back of basically that Dubai girl. Everything was super girly. Everything was girls. It was everything we did was girls, makeup, hair, skin, pop ups. Everything was girls. And we met a few male brands along the way who were like, oh, you know, how can we target like both genders or how can we? So we started our second company was called Urban Market Concept. And that was really funny because uh, we were working with Media One Hotel and they had this car park, which is now a proper kitted out P7 arena. Is It was a massive like event nightlife venue. But at the time it was just literally a car park. Nothing, like nothing in there whatsoever. Um, and they showed it to me and they were like, what could you do? And I was like, oh, I want to do like a Camden market, like Spitalfields, because it was like cool and we could spray paint it and and so, yeah, we built this whole second brand and it was so successful. We couldn't believe it. We we did the first one and like 800 people came in the first ever one. And we were just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I think we had maybe like 20 independent retailers and we did it for seven consecutive weeks. And by the last one, we had 70 vendors and 3000 people visit it in the space of eight hours. And was that was off like, the back of like the page because you, you were able to promote it through the page or, or, or what was it? Um, to be honest, we just started it and we we did some barters and, you know, ultimately there's actually more women here in the UAE than there are men. Um, and yeah, I guess with the page, we knew editors and we knew radio hosts and we knew lots of people. We completely launched it as a, as a completely separate brand. I mean, I have no doubt that we also cross promoted it um but you know we we wanted it to go out on its own two feet and it was funny because people for a very very long time never even now a lot of people don't associate these two brands together because they're so different um and people were kind of shocked when it was me you know I think they were expecting like a trendy 20 something to be there like you know um and yeah it was just I don't know I think to be honest with you it was our target audience, even today, is still like 13 to 25, 30-year-olds. Um, because there's this whole thing in Dubai where, you know, they when they hit 15 to 21, what do they do? They, they hang out in a mall or, you know, there's not a massive a lot of stuff for that kind of age bracket. Um, so we used to have live bands, we had DJs, you know, we had K-pop dancers. And to be honest, I think it went mad on TikTok, not because of because of us we still don't even have tiktok but (laughs) it was just like people were it was wild like it was absolutely crazy how successful it was in such a short period of time and then we shut it down for the summer because it was ridiculously hot and it was in a car park and you can imagine it was absolutely boiling um and then when we bought it back we did a few there and then we expanded to other places um eventually we now have a a monthly market like a flagship at um, Radisson Red in Silicon Oasis it totally matches our vibe of 
trendy and we've got like pac-man and air hockey and all these cool things over there so we do that every month when's the next one on there so the next one's actually this coming weekend depending on when you play this podcast Um, okay yeah this weekend yeah which is at 25 hours hotel so that's a brand new launch for us at 25 hours and our normal flagship one is every second Saturday of the month at Radisson Red. So um, we always do that the second Saturday of the month there. So we what, try and what make... Happens there? So... Sorry. That's all right. Um, so it's, yeah, people come along. It's local, independent retailers. Um, it's thrift. It's vintage. It's, you know, jewellery, bags. We've had hot sauce, candles, honey, um, you name it, we've had it. Um, people come along and, you know, you know, it's 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 a market. It's exactly what it says on the tin. It's, mm-hmm. it's meant to be, you know, everyone knows right market. Everyone knows these kind of markets, but it's always, it's about the entertainment as well. Like we all always have DJs. We always have like games set up. So on all the tables, there'll be like maybe Connect Four or Jenga, um, and we try and give people a place to hang out, you know, come shop and spend the day with us, hang out, play games. You know, this weekend we'll have a barbecue. We'll have a DJ at Radisson Red. We have like an open mic. Um, we've had bands, you know, we do all sorts. We do competitions. We do, you know, we just, it's, it's everything we've done has always been community. It's always been you know, build a community, grow a community. I mean, Urban Market itself has nearly as big a following and community as that Dubai girl, but it's completely different target audience, completely different. Um, so yeah, it's just, and I think it's nice, you know, I don't know if it's the teacher in me, but it's nice to kind of be able to give, but we've had a lot of like really cool companies run by 15, 16, 17 year olds, you know, and and it's great that they come and they have these ideas and we make it cost effective. It's not super expensive to come and have a stand. You, you can just do it once or you can do it for the whole year. It's completely up to you. Um, and yeah, like I remember there was a girl doing her GCSEs and she came with her mom and she had a candle company. And, and honestly, I know that everywhere now, but she was making the candles, you know, they were like the silhouettes of the bodies or like they were shapes. And honestly, she was like one of the first people I'd seen do this. Um, and I remember she came and she sold everything and she was just like, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And the same thing happened. We had guys who were doing, um, like retro prints so they had like a computer and they were doing graphic designs and they were printing them out and framing them on the spot or lasering them onto canvases and delivering them to people and they were I think they were like three 17 year olds and they and they did so well and I think it's you know I think it's great that you know I my dad always jokes this sounds really bad when I say it like this but curse you would have done anything for a quid like <laughs> clean the car I'll give you a couple of quid like do this I'll give you a quid do this I'll give you a fiver like I you know I get I've been asked this question in interviews for love or money and I always say money and people are like oh my god <laughs> I'm like no I want to be successful I want to it's what drives me you know it's what drives me I I, I want to be successful but without sounding cliche I want to do it in an ethical way you know I don't want it to be like I trampled over all these people to get there or to get there quicker I want to you know my most important thing is that people 
when people talk about me or when people meet me, whatever their perception of me is. And I think that's the whole thing of that Dubai girl. The amount of times people say to me, I expected you to be so different. I expected you to be, you know, this, that or the other. Um, I think that's the whole point, right? That it was to break a stereotype. It was to make people think, no, I mean, I don't know how many times you see girls or guys say, oh, I don't want to date a typical Dubai boy. I don't want to date a typical Dubai girl. <laughs> like, what is that? Like, what, what is that? It, it's, you've had a bad experience and you're just labeling it. Like they used to say Essex girls love wearing white stilettos. I mean, I don't think I've ever put on a pair of white stilettos in my life, you know? Like, so I, I just, I guess it's in everything I do, I'm just trying to prove people that you can you can do it and you can be successful. You don't have to be like a villain or a bitch about it. Like you can just you can do it in a kind of ethical sense. Um, and I think that's really important. And I think sometimes that gets lost here. Um, and it and people get lost with not. I, I do people a lot of favors, and in return, I get a lot of favors back. When I was a teacher, my mum drilled into me: when you go into a new school. The people you have to make friends with are the receptionist, the caretaker, the lollipop lady, the dinner ladies, the assistants. They're the people you have to make an extra step to go talk to them and go say hello to them. Um, I worked in Morrison's was one of my first jobs. And I had a general manager who told us you have to say hello to everyone on your shift, even if you don't know who they are, even if you're not working with them. If you walk past someone in a Morrison's uniform, say hello smile say hello it's not hard and and I think that's kind of drilled into me so now you know I've made that effort with you know don't get me wrong I have bad days when I'm an absolute nightmare and I don't want to talk to anyone I'm no one's friend everyone does <laughs> but I've tried to do that and, and that's served me well that you know people if I ring up and ask for a favor or I ring up and ask for help people will help me because they'll know that if they do it back up I'll, I'll reciprocate and I'll, and I'll help them as well so yeah, I think um, being helpful and being kind. I mean, it's it's like rule number one, right? Be helpful, be kind. <clears throat> you want to be treated. Gets you along exactly. the way in life. <laughs> exactly. As they say, it costs nothing to be nice. You know, just been uh, basic principles. Um, what I wanted to delve into as well that that urban market, like, does it cost anything for you know for visitors to attend or, or what's the um it's just like a normal market you can walk in and you, you you can buy things and all that um a few things i was gonna okay let's go on, on to the next thing i want to delve into that boy girl you scanned over it but i believe a lot of questions um come up on the page uh, do you want to give a bit of a, uh, an insight into the kind of questions i suppose first of all can you can you identify what criteria is now for people to join um, because obviously before it probably changed to what it is now. Um, do you know what? The criteria to join has never changed, never changed. So the criteria has always been, you have to be a woman. Um, you have to be living in Dubai or, you know, moving to Dubai in the near future. Um, and even though sometimes that proves a little bit problematic, we, you know, what we, we actually have full-time admins looking after that Facebook page. We look at every single person. There's no automation. It's all done manually. Um, you know, if someone's not on Facebook as living in the UAE, we actually manually message them and say, hey, like, you know, we 
we're excited that you want to join our page. Can you give us a little bit of info? Um, and the third rule is you agree that if you've got nothing nice to say, you'll keep it to yourself. Um, and, you know, this page is for all cultures, all nationalities, uh, you know, everyone is going to feel different. But the rule is, if you've got nothing nice to say, you keep it to yourself. And again, I think that comes from the teacher in me. Um, I always used to say to my class, you don't have to be friends with everyone. But if you've got nothing nice to say, keep it to yourself. Um, and, you know, in the beginning, honestly, we got slated because we used to delete people's comments if they were not kind. We used to put people on bans if they weren't kind. We used to remove people. Um, and we still do it now. We still do it now. You know, we get, we have built this ultimate safe space. Um, I'm not stupid. I have male friends who show me screenshots. Um, if we can find out who the girls are, we are that bad. We get rid of them or we message them and be like, you know, we, we, Look, with all these other pages, where it's in Dubai, all this stuff, like we all sit at our computers and we all have a laugh and we're all like, but, you know, if people, there are a lot of people here who genuinely feel lonely and genuinely don't have people to turn to and have moved and work in jobs and don't have friends. Um, you know, it's incredible that, honestly, my best friends I met through that Dubai girl. Like my best friends now, my someone who I literally consider like my sister we're so close we met maybe two or three months into that Dubai girl being a thing she won a competition we met at the venue and we became friends um you know I had my eyelashes done by someone that was recommended on the page that girl now works for me and she's one of my closest friends I met another girl at a pop-up market who was running a small business she's now my one of my business partners so it's like just this insane story of if you mapped out all the people who I'm closest to in my life in one way or another that Dubai girl has brought them brought them to me me to them us together um and yeah there's wild questions there's all the typical dating questions there's all the you know but we don't let people stand up we've got a real policy like it's no secret we we do advertising we have partners um but we've always had something called spotlight sunday which we have kept the entire time which means anyone with a business with a business license um can send us their license and can do something on a sunday can promote their business can you know post about their business and we've done that and it's every single Sunday and we've never changed it and we never will and equally if someone asks a question hey girls can you recommend me the best hairdresser for curly hair we're never going to filter the comments like you know we know there's people in these groups who are going to recommend their friends recommend their, their own businesses and you know we know in Dubai and so many of these Facebook groups you know, it's all about the money and it's all about monetizing mm. them. And that has never been the case with that Dubai girl. You know, people seem to be under this illusion that that Dubai girl is this huge, profitable, massive thing. Um, and it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not the core source of income for my businesses. It, it really isn't. Um, but I think, you know, our principles and sticking to our principles and, not starting it because we wanted it to become a business it's evolved partly into a business um but it will always be a community and I'll never ever let that change 
Um, and people are shocked. We work with huge companies now, big, big, big companies. And they're shocked that we're like, yep, yeah, this is this is what you pay and this is what you have to do. And they have to actually work for their advertising. We don't do it for them and push it down people's throats. Um, but yeah, it's all just full of girly gossip as well. Um, Brilliant. It's great, right? Um, Brilliant. Have you ever thought about doing the, like, that Dubai ladder, that Dubai buyer or whatever you want to call it, or man or something? Yeah, um, I've always said it would have to be called that Dubai guy um because it'd be tdg and tdg um (laughs) and you know at the start i actually had the instagram handle that dubai guy and i had a website and i had the domain um and i did it for about a year and i was like i just i don't know how to do this because i'm not a guy okay and i think you know guys i've got loads of male friends and they're all a bit like you know it's a bit like you, I don't think guys would kind of post and talk in the way that girls do. Um, maybe if they could all be anonymous all the time. I mean, I definitely we've definitely done things like we've worked with barbers and we've done guys nights and we've done things to push for guys. Um, you always say to girls like bring a single mate or bring your pal and you can honor the discount for both of you and stuff like that. And um, we've always tried to do that. Um, but I think unless a group of guys got together and showed a bit of vulnerability and kind of led the way, um, I don't think it would work if a bunch of girls did it. I just don't think it would. Um, and people are all shocked at the men in my team. They're always like, oh my God, there's guys in your team. Like, yeah, (laughs) I'm not against, I'm not like here against men. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's just obviously that Dubai girl was a group of girls and it will continue to be a group of girls. And I think that's why people relate to us because they do know the girls behind the brands and they, they you know, they do see us and know us and, you know, quite happily come up to us in events or in a lift or in a coffee shop. Um, and, and guys do it as well. I was in Bali not that long ago um, and I was at a pool like at a pool club and a guy went to me you're that Dubai girl girl it's like oh yeah <laughs> like, you know, so I think if a group of guys are going to do it male friends of mine have said let me do it and I'm like go do it like I'm not going to stop you you could turn around and do it tomorrow I'm not going to like you know come after you because at the end of the day if someone wants I know how much work goes into it and I know what it took to build it and if if someone wants to put that much energy and effort into building it for guys amazing if I can help them I will um absolutely but for me I just think I, I just don't know how I could do it for guys really uh, briefly being an entrepreneur um in a country that you weren't born in obviously you didn't grow up here either uh it must have been challenging you know more challenging than doing it in, in England and the UK what were the pitfalls challenges I mean I honestly don't think I could have ever done this in the UK. So I don't feel that way at all. I I feel this country is absolutely the land of opportunities. And I think if I I just know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know because I haven't done it, but I I can't imagine, you know, knowing where I was from in England, even if I'd moved to London, even if I'd done it like that, I can't imagine that, you know I would have done this and I would have got I mean I've completely changed careers completely I I work in a completely different field than I trained in obviously I believe in 
you know, skills crossing over. I think there's so many skills from teaching, so many skills from psychology that I use every single day in my now creative marketing job. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think wherever you go, whatever you do, when you're an entrepreneur, when you're trying to start, you know, when you listen to these entrepreneur stories from all over the world, you're going to struggle. But I think the one thing that stands out for me here is because it is such a melting pot of cultures and people, people are actually willing to help. You know, mm-hmm. I think Dubai is Dubai can be one of the loneliest places in the world. You know, I, I have totally experienced that. You can be surrounded by hundreds of people and, and feel so lonely. Um, but equally, I, I've never... You know, I've never walked into a gym class in Dubai and someone's not cracked a smile at me or like, you know, oh, what are you doing here? Is it your first time? You know, a bar, a restaurant, uh, an event, an, a networking event. I've, I've never kind of walked in and felt like, oh, my God, I have walked into situations in England, in Essex, in London and felt like that. You know, I have to refer back to Barry's because it's kind of a good example of this, that I went to Barry's in London and no one spoke and no one smiled and no one engaged whereas you'd never find that in Dubai you'd walk in even if you've never been there it's hey 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 hey, hey. like it's a bit of that kind of Americanism I think there's a lot of like American things here like I went to Barry's in America and it's the same it's hey how are you get involved blah 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 so you know I think actually I don't know. There's 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 language barriers. Again, we're we're lazy as English people. We want everyone to speak English. My biggest regret is not learning Arabic. Um, I've tried in <laughs> in the last couple of years to try a bit harder. Um, and it's just so hard. And I think if I had started when I was eight years ago, if I I honestly I honestly say to people, like if I could speak Arabic now, guys, I'd be unstoppable. <laughs> like <laughs> so, you know, that's what a big regret for me. Um not learning Arabic from the start I think but yeah I mean there's been cultural differences you know I'm a woman and maybe when when I started here eight years ago yeah definitely it was different but this country and what it stands for and the opportunities it gives people I think are phenomenal um and you know I have worked I worked this year for the chief of police and you know members of the royal family and I can honestly tell you that I was spoken to nicely I was treated with respect um my opinion was valid you know ultimately they value individuals that are striving for success and are bringing something to the table and are here to make their country better and I think that's one of the things I love the most is that you know they do see the value in everyone um yeah so for me I've had real tough times I've had real you know sad down days but I don't think that's down to the UAE or Arabs or Emiratis you know I've had British people make me cry I've had Spanish people make me cry you know um I think yeah I think it's a great place definitely because even on that point like I uh you know I reached out to you never met you before and you actually got back I actually didn't think you would get back I suppose maybe that's feeding into what you're saying earlier on as well so I do I do apologize uh you know having that pre pre uh, preconception but um I met someone actually last night and it just came up in conversation that they're a teacher and they were kind of you know thinking of maybe changing career into something else 
but I suppose it's just that fear of going from that safe, I wouldn't say, I don't mean this in a bad way, but that safety net of, of having an income and having, we say, accommodation sorted um, and, and whatnot. I'll, don't get me wrong, you do work hard as a teacher. What would you say to someone if they came to you and asked you for advice? Look, I'm a teacher. I want to I want to try something different here. You know, I what? think, look, I cut my salary in half. I, I, you know, I, I left teaching <clears throat> in all honesty, my school, I'd grown a little bit too much of a personality outside of their school. Um, and they, they weren't at the start, they thought it was amazing at the start. I was, you know, Oh, Miss Campbell's an entrepreneur. Miss Campbell's doing this. I was leading workshops. It was all, you know, they loved it. And then, you know, there was a few articles about me and a bit more of a kind of public following of me. And, you know, people kind of knew, parents knew, oh, she does this thing, but she also does this other thing. Um, and again, people make assumptions. Um, how can she be teaching our child if she's she's also doing all this stuff? They, they don't seem to think that sometimes I think with teaching, and I think a lot of teachers would agree with me, it's like these parents and these schools own you. And, and you can't possibly have a life or anything outside of that. And, and I think teaching is such a career um, where that happens. You know, I'm sure it happens in lots of careers, but I feel like teaching's a real big one. Um, and I actually had worked for a head. I didn't work for her anymore. And she said to me, they're stupid. They can't see the value of you. They should think, oh, she's an entrepreneur and she can do all this crazy stuff and she can inspire our kids and she can work all, do all these workshops and she has all these connections and she can help us. But they couldn't see past the fact that, you know, a few parents weren't happy that I had this double life, you know? Um, and so the choice was given to me as simple as you stop doing that or you leave. Um, and I decided to leave. Um, and it was it was scary and I was pushed and I probably don't know if I would have jumped as soon as that. Um, but I was so when they said it to me, I was so angry because I was like, I'm working so hard. I'm I'm so good at my job. I was I loved teaching. I was a super passionate teacher. Um, I worked with a lot of kids with special needs. It was a massive thing over here. You know, when I came over here eight years ago, psychology and special needs wasn't even a thing here, you know, Um and I was angry that they made me choose, but ultimately I made the choice to believe in myself. Um, and yeah, you, if you, I have people, teachers all the time talk to me about this. And I say to them, you need to sit down and work out how much money you need to live, live. Like not, not your salary and all your accessories and your brunches. How much money do you need to pay your rent for six months, to pay your bills for six months, to eat, to still have a bit of money so you're not a hermit? Um, you know, find that figure and get six months of that figure in your bank and then and then go for it. Because look, you can go, I could go back to teaching. I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Like people say it to me all the time, would you go back? I wouldn't because it didn't stimulate me anymore. Um, I didn't love it. You know, I built a whole business while I was doing it. I was finishing work at four, 4.30 and going to meetings until six, seven at night. You know, five months in, I employed met Mel, uh, employed Mel. Subsequently, she's become a partner in the business um, and she kind of ran it day to day. And, you know, people didn't really know that. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, you've got to be prepared to go back to zero. If you change careers in any industry and you change and you don't have any experience behind you, 
you can't expect to get the same salary or a bigger salary. It's very rare that you change careers and you walk straight into the same salary. I've got friends that worked as cabin crew who went and did internships for 3000 dirhams a month because they were desperate. They wanted to change careers. I think you just, you know, you have to take a risk and you have to be prepared to like suffer for a little bit and not be in that same, you know, and I've got friends in the UK and I say to them, like, even move and still be a teacher. You'll earn more money and you'll have a better quality of life. And I think a lot of the time people are scared. And I totally understand that. Um, but what do they say? Nothing ventured, nothing gained. And I exactly. always think if you do it, I've had friends who have left teaching and gone back to teaching. You know, they've left, they've given it a go. It's not worked. They they, they can't deal with the stress or the anxiety or, you know, the the instability of not being a teacher and they go back and they get a job and they go back um you know yeah. I couldn't I could never go back <laughs> well the way the way things are going with you and I don't think you will be going back because you have a lot of uh you you have your fingers and a lot of pies and on on that point that Dubai agency so I was trying to get my head around all this before so that Dubai agency is like the event management side of things yeah so that's by has evolved in the past year um it started off when we worked for the government and we did the horse racing and we went into that kind of as a mismatch between Dubai girl and urban market and we were like this doesn't work and originally it was called um TDG events was what it was originally called um and then it was confusing because people were like well it's that Dubai girl events so is it just for girls and people got confused and then we went I I was in my group whatsapp with my friends I was like come on we've got to think of a name and we were going round and round and round and then someone said why don't you just have that Dubai agency because um you're that Dubai girl so why not have that Dubai agency um and I've been told in meetings like how do you have the audacity to call your agency that? And I was like, because I want it to be the best and the best agency in Dubai. I want people to turn around and go, oh yeah, we went to that Dubai agency. Like, so again, it's a little bit like playing on the stereotype, you know, like playing that, you know, when we had one client, we had one client, we still called ourselves that Dubai agency and we still had this ambition to be the biggest and the best. And it is events. We do big projects we work on big projects for events and we do event management um but we have you know full-time graphic designer full-time web designer we have interns we have you know creatives we do marketing pr we work with another pr agency a girl called ellie keen who kind of started her agency when i started that to buy a girl and i'm super close with her um so you know she sources to us because we're the social media and creatives and events and she's the PR. And yeah, like we build websites and we rebrand people's social media. We help com- oh. company completely rebrand. We've done so much stuff. Um, and- we did it for a long time with no one really knowing we were doing it. So I think when the McGettigan's job came to the table and when we did that, it was such a huge event that everyone talked about and everyone knew. And we had was a that the fan zone or was that the Maidan race course? No. So I think fan zone by McGettigan's has put us, has like catapulted us much more than Maidan did. Um, I think purely because when we did Maidan, we weren't a, a separate brand. We did, you know, 
when we went into Maidan, me and Mel, we got the contract. We went in to do a tiny fraction of that. Um, and we got the contract and the contract kept growing and the scope kept growing. And to put it into perspective, um, two years before the last time they did it for the public, the team that managed what we managed was 30 people. And when we took the contract, we were two. Um, and we did the contract. We got an intern two weeks later, who is now our creative assistant, has been with us for about two and a bit years, uh, one and a bit years now. But how, how do you uh, get your head around organising an event like that when 30 people were doing it before? No, there's only, was say, three of you doing something like that. How do you, like, how do you sleep? You don't. <laughs> <laughs> you don't sleep. Um, you run every day because we're so stressed out. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, oh, it was easy. It was, it was the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. I didn't sleep. I, you know, I mean, the last two events, like Super Saturday and then the Dubai World Cup, we put on a concert. We booked international artists, built a stage, bought in generators, hired security, event staff. We did everything in 21 days. Um, We'd never done it before. It was crazy. But again, we had people around us. Like all my friends worked for the Dubai World Cup. Every single one of my friends, they had a job. Um, And we had people around us that were willing to help us. I mean, a guy who I'm really good friends with now, a guy called Greg Dufton, he's had an event company here. God, I don't know, like 20 years. Think events, um, Creative Noise. They do like Fat Boy Slim at um, Zero Gravity. They do Party in the Park. Um, they're a big part of um, the Media City project for the Fan Zone. And um, I remember someone giving me Greg's number and they were like, oh, this guy can help you. And I started talking to him and he just did. He just, I was like, look, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you where I'm out. I've been given this humongous job. And in all honesty, I need someone to, to help me because I'd, I'd, I'd been, I've been on the phone to like do a leapers agent and like all these agents. And I was calling people around the world. And I was like, how am I going to get artists? And, you know, if it hadn't been for Greg, Greg was amazing. Like Greg, we first spoke to Greg, I think in the December and like with anything, if you work with the government here, it's always last minute, it's always super slow. And I just kept saying to him, look, Greg, I think this is going to happen. And I think we need to have some people on standby and we need to have some ideas of pricing. I didn't know. I mean, if I asked you how much does it cost to book someone like Dua Lupa, could you tell me the answer? No. Having the clue. So was this for the defense owner for Maidan? This was for Maidan. Um, and so we did all of that and we did it all, but no one knew we did it. Because we didn't, we didn't have a good marketing and we didn't have a good social media presence. And we didn't even have LinkedIn. So we did all this stuff and people that knew us and, you know, all the companies we worked with and all the brands we worked with knew we'd done it. All our friends, we put in the first ever homegrown brand to sponsor the, um, the fashion. I mean, previous years it had been done by Topshop and Jaguar. We went to a brand called Suited and Booted, owned by two Scottish guys. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know the guys. I knew the girl that worked for them because she'd been in a campaign with us through that Dubai girl. And I said to him, look, I'm doing this thing. Do you want to sponsor it? And they said to me, yeah, how much do you think it's going to cost? And I gave them a figure and it ended up costing them five times that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, because every time we went somewhere, we, it cost more money. Um, and yeah, like, and again, that's another example of two entrepreneurs with another entrepreneur, like going, fuck it, let's, let's just try our best, you know? Um, and yeah, we had like amazing people who'd been in the industry for years and years who were like, go on, like, we'll help you, we'll get you. It was crazy. How, how did you like? How did you get that? Was it like gig in, in, for example, McGettigan's fans owned by McGettigan's? Um, because what you you touched on the point there that you know people were willing to help you, but yeah, how did you get that gig beforehand? So when I did Maidan, so going back, me and McGettigan's have been friends for a long time. McGettigan's um, were one of the first partners with that Dubai girl. They worked with us. They gave us brunches. They gave us discount code. And um, the guys there, the marketing team there, Kent Daniels, who's now the COO, um, he was the head of marketing, met him when we went into Maidan. The reason why we originally got employed by Maidan was to bring in all the food and beverage. So when, you know, we had loads of food and beverage partners for that Dubai girl. So we went to McGettigan's. We're like, well, we've got to do this massive thing. Do you want to build a big bar? They're like, yeah, 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 great. They ended up building a big bar. They ended up being one of the sponsors of the concert. They ended up building another bar. They ended up, you know, helping us with so much stuff. When we finished Maidan, you know, we had this super great relationship with them. Um, And actually how I ended up with my job at the Fan Zone was I went to halfway to Christmas brunch at McGettigan's. (laughs) Um, And I was with Dennis McGettigan and his wife and we were talking and he was like, oh, I've got this crazy idea. What are you doing at the moment? You're really busy, aren't you? And I went, but you know what? I'm not, I'm a bit lost. Like I've started this agency. I've got a couple of clients, but I'm just not really sure. And and I love events, right? I love events. Someone could go to me tomorrow, Kirsty, plan this 5,000 person thing and I would buzz off it like I love it the bigger the better the more crazy and the more that someone thinks you can't do it I will do it like I love that um and I said to him and he said oh well I've got this mad idea and I want to do this I want to do this come in and see me next week so he sent me a meeting invite and I went in from the gym sweaty in my tracksuit like minging like and his whole board was sat there (laughs) And I was like, he was like, do you want to introduce, do you want to copy? And I was like, oh, hi. And like all the teams, heads of departments to there and people I'd never met. And I was like, oh, guys, like, I'm really sorry. Like, I didn't realize. And they were like, this is what they want, we want to do. And they put this PowerPoint up and they clicked through it. And they told me, you know, we're going to build this window wonderland. We're going to build this fan zone. We're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Do you want to come work on it? Because, I mean, McGettigan's is a, is a, is a monster of an operation, you know, hundreds of staff amazing people amazing chefs food and beverage managers marketing team operations team but he was like look we need someone to just look after this because it's a monster it's going to be you know it was 47 days in the end with the winter wonderland and the build up and the takedown people always forget you've got to build it and you've got to put it away afterwards um well it's going up again soon isn't it yeah for the script i mean it's still actually kind of that <laughs> um, <Was> it? <laughs> yeah, it's still not completely down yet. Um, but that's another story. Uh, but yeah, so he was like, Do you want to do it? Do you think you can do it? And do you want to do it? And Greg was part of this same team. And Greg had worked with me on, on Maidan and knew me really, really well. Um, and, and they were like, Do you think you can do it? And I was like, Yeah. And and again, kind of went in to look after 
like the not the beverage because we get against the beverage but the food you know and to build elements and to support sponsorship and you know over the period of time responsibilities grew and you know I was given more stuff to look after and and yeah I was I was I was so grateful to Dennis and I've got a really good relationship with Dennis and I really look up to him and I actually we're very similar I am known for having a short fuse. Like it's my worst trait. I've got a short fuse. And so is he. I mean, I've done well here because I'm also an absolute potty mouth. So I've done really well. I feel like I left teaching and it was like the freedom to like swear whenever you came out, you know? Um, and I love that, you know, he's built this incredible company. Um, it's it's amazing what he's done. Um, and he will still get behind a bar and pull a pint. And I've watched it with my own eyes. I've watched him carry kegs. I've watched him move furniture. I've watched him, you know, drive trolleys and move stuff. And and that's it. And that's the thing with me. Like, I will still be hands-on. All my clients know me. Even if they don't see me all the time or they have a, a manager looking after them, they can pick up the phone and talk to me whenever they want. And they have that relationship with me. And I think that's the same thing with him. His staff respect him so much because he will get his hands dirty and get involved. Um, yeah, and I just did it and it was crazy and it was insane, but you know what? It was, it was so much better than Maydan. Um, as much as Maydan like put me on this path and really helped me and gave me so many skills, it was, you know, obviously I was part of a team of, you know, a core team was 18. So it wasn't like with Maydan, I, I felt like a one-man band and it crushed me and that's why I couldn't sleep and I couldn't eat and I was stressed out all the time because I was trying to do all these things. Whereas I went into this and it was like, yeah, I had to, I looked after 37 suppliers. I worked on that site some days, 17 hours. Um, I worked through the night. When we built it, it was insane. I, I felt like I never left. My friend lives in a building across the road and I was going to her house and sleeping for a few hours and going back. <laughs> there was a joke that I bought a sofa for my porter cabin and everyone was like, are you literally sleeping here? Um, and I think with whatever event you do, there's this like pressure and there's this like anxiety that you get before it begins, you know, and when you're building it and there's so much pressure to get it how it is. Um, and it was such an overwhelming success. Um, and the last day there, I stood there and I was just like, I can't believe we've done it. Like, I can't, you know, people will think you'll be so buzzed when the day opens, but you're actually not. You're buzzed the day it stops because you've done it. And things go wrong every day. We were still having site meetings like at the start every day, then every two days and every three days. Um, by the end, you know, maybe it was only every three days. <laughs> Um, but it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Um, and it's, and it's given me, it's opened so many doors for me and it's, you know, it's, we're now at the point where we're having to say to people, you know, we're still a very small company and we can't take up on all this work, but what a nice position to be in. Um, and how many do you have working uh, for you across all the companies? Um, there's including myself, there's six of us. So, yeah, we I mean, we have three companies, but we operate as one because I everyone who I employ, I employ based on a skill set. So um, I don't know if you've ever heard Richard Branson speak, but he says I heard this really recently and he was saying how he doesn't know how to do all the things that his company do. But he had all these ideas and all this passion and all this drive 
um, and he knew what he wanted. So he went out and he employed amazing people who had these skills to do it. And that's what I always say to people. Now, there's obviously crossovers between me and my team in things that I can do and they can do. Um, if I didn't know how to do any of it, I wouldn't have, <laughs> I wouldn't have got off the ground. Um, but, you know, I, I've got an, an ex-journalist who's a phenomenal copywriter working for me, who, as much as I was a teacher, and I obviously, you know, can write to a fairly good extent. She's amazing. You know, she's phenomenal. I have a, a, a video creator who's, you know, I'm I'm hard to work with because I have all these mad ideas and you have to, one of the girls in my team says, I speak fluent Kirsty. She's like, I speak fluent Kirsty. I know what that means. I know what she's thinking. Um, and it's taken a long time, you know. I've hired people, I've fired people, I've worked with people and not worked with them again. I've worked with people for three months and then it's not worked. You know, I I want my clients to get everything they pay for. I want them to feel like to me. A happy client is the most valuable thing in the world because if they're happy, they will go and tell, even if they tell one more company and they persuade that company to work for you. Um, you know, and we're lucky. We've had people leave big brands, very well-established brands to come and work with us and given us a chance. We've had people come and work with us because they're part of our group and then they like how we operate that to buy go and they like what that stands for. Um you know, and to me, that's what's so important that the people, you know, that I've got two people now that have a percentage of my businesses um, and one's Mel who who built everything with me. And um, really, like I, I operated for maybe five months without Mel. And then the rest of the journey, we're coming up to three years has been with Mel. Um, and then another guy who um, actually bought into the business um, but bought in to the business to take a percentage but as part of a five-year plan and works you know alongside me and brings amazing skills to the table I don't have and I think that's what's made it work you know everyone that works with me kind of believes in the dream everyone kind of I I tell them I'm going to retire at 40 which is in seven years um I'm going to retire I'm going to be that successful that I'm going to retire. And Mel said she'll never retire because she'll never be able to let go. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And people say to me, oh, what's the number that someone could offer you? And you'd sell it. I was like, nothing. There's no number. Like, it's mine and I love it. And, you know, people are like, oh, will you ever leave Dubai? And I'm like, well, how can I? I'm that Dubai girl. (laughs) (laughs) I'm that Essex girl. Like, that's not as much fun. Um, So, yeah, I mean... I don't even remember what the question was now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's, uh, it's fine. I, I know you're uh, we're coffee time. So just have two, two more questions or three more questions. Look, nobody knows what the future holds, but ideally, I know you said seven years there, but ideally, where do you, would you like to be in the next five years? Um, on a yacht in the marina? Like, <laughs> um, no, I mean, look, I want to build the best agency. And I think, what happens over here and what I've experienced, I've got clients coming to me on boarding right now who've worked with other agencies. Like I said, work with big and small and international and local. And I, I want to be like, you know, this saying like jack of all trades, master of none. People always used to say that to me about being a primary school teacher. They'd be like, oh, you're a primary school teacher because you just teach a little bit of everything. You're not a specialist in anything. Um. And that's kind of like what I want to do as an agency. I want to build this 
unstoppable agency that you can come to for international artists, for stages, for content, for, you know, I want this one agency that people go, that agency, you know, (laughs) that agency. Um, That's our actual registered name is that agency because you can't have um, Dubai in it. And, you know, Mm. that's what I want. I want people to go, you know, the same way that they talk about that Dubai girl, I want them to talk about the agency and I want them to talk about it for the right reasons, you know, because it was the best, because it was the most transparent, because we cared, um, because every company, we, we, when we onboard clients, we go in all, we've done it today, actually. We've onboarded a new client today and we turned up and there were six of us there and they were like, oh you're all here and I was like yep and they were like oh like we weren't expecting everyone I was like yeah because we all run we're now all going to support different areas of your business so it makes no sense that you don't know who all of us are and it's a bit like a school assembly like hi I'm this person <laughs> I do this um you know and I always say like and I'm Kirstie and I keep everything under control <laughs> like um I keep all this all the plates spinning um and yeah, like that's why people work with us because they know us, they trust us, you know, that's so important. And they know that, you know, what you see is what you get. Um, I mean, touch wood, I haven't let anyone down yet. You know, when I've told them I'm going to do something, I, I always say I can do anything. If you've got the right amount of money, I can do anything. <laughs> um, someone said to me the other day, go to the moon. I went, yeah. I mean, Richard, Richard Branson again. I listened to his podcast. <laughs> Rich. Rich, your first name basis, is it? Yeah, me and Rich. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, I do truly believe that. I do. I love this quote, and it was it was kind of the foundation of that Dubai girl, and it was by a, a ballerina called Misty Copeland, and she said, "Anything is possible if you have the right people there to support you." And I believe that, and that's what I say to people. I say, "Anything's possible if you've got the right people," and you know. I'm where I am because I've got the right people around me and I've got the right people there with me. You know, I fail and I lose and I cry and I get down and sometimes I don't want to get out of bed and other days I could run a parade down the streets, you know, but whatever I'm feeling, I'm not on my own. I have people there with me. Um, And that was an important part of picking, you know, if you truly believe you're going to be super successful, which I do believe that, not to sound arrogant or not to sound, if you don't believe in yourself, who's going to believe in you? Do you know what I mean? Like, if I come to you and I go, oh, well, I think I might be able to do it. You're not going to believe that I'm going to be the right person for you. I have to come to you and I say, I'm absolutely going to do that. Um, and there's loads of things that I want to achieve. Um, and I truly believe I will. Um, but I'm not a one-man band. Sometimes... I think I am, um, but I'm not. And I have the right people there to support me. And I think that's really important. And that's what I want my company to be for other people. You know, you can be a multi-million dollar company or you can be a startup. I'm going to treat you exactly the same. Brilliant, brilliant. I love that. We're going to finish it up now with this question I always give to get my guests. And I'd love to see your reaction to this. What are two daily non-negotiables? uh i i couldn't live without my phone like it's a joke like kirsty's surgically glued to technology it's it would be a it would be a tough toss up between my phone and my laptop probably if i can get whatsapp web it would be my laptop 
Um, and God, coffee, the gym. <laughs> There's more than two. Um, but yeah, like non-negotiables in, in that sense is like in terms of like tangible things, but in terms of like quality, I think it's really important to have a bit of time for yourself every single day. And I, I no matter how manic my days are going to be, I'll always give myself that bit of time, like circling back to the first thing I said, like, don't talk to me before 10 a.m. If I go to a meeting before 10 a.m., like that person is like, they must be such a priority. Like, I remember when we get moved their meetings to 9 a.m. and everyone was like, oh, God, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I don't really have a choice, do I? <laughs> yeah, I think, look. I can sit here and preach that, you know, you've got to have balance and you've got to do all these things. Everyone knows, every entrepreneur knows it's not the case. You know, sometimes I work till two in the morning. Sometimes, you know, I'm miserable and I work, I have four hours sleep and sometimes I work a seven day week. So in an ideal world, yeah, the non-negotiables are that I give myself a bit of time um, and I have my laptop. <laughs> Brilliant. Look, well, uh, I know you're, you're caught for time and I do apologise for, for keeping a small bit over what we agreed. Uh, thanks very much for coming on Inside View podcast and best luck with everything going forward. Thank you very much. Thank you for asking me. I loved your questions. They were really interesting. Um, I'm sorry that I talked to you to death. Um, <laughs> I really hope that you do really well with your podcast as well. That is all from us on this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Kirsty. We'd ask you to rate, review and tell your friends and family about the podcast and be sure to click subscribe on whatever platform you listen to your episodes on. It makes a huge difference. Be sure to follow us on social media. We're available on social media platforms if you haven't done so already. Have a lovely week and be sure to tune in again next week when we have another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe and remember, create on a fan. Talk to you all soon and thank you all for listening.